Welcome to season six of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer, and I've worked in the animal health care industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. Yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. Speaking of directions, in each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a guest so they can share their own different directions and journeys. Really what we're doing is exploring veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. One last thing, thank you Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the veterinary profession. Today we get comfy on the virtual couch with Laisha Hicks, a second year veterinary student at Tuskegee University College of Veterinary Medicine, who is also president of Tuskegee's chapter of the Student American Veterinary Medical Association, or as we all know it, SAVMA. So welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, happy to be here. (laughs) So let's start with talking about vet school. Vet school is hard, like I don't miss pharmacology whatsoever and Here you are taking on a few leadership positions, which we're going to get to in a moment, like Tuskegee chapter SAVMA president, like being president of your class at vet school. Very early in your career, what drives you to lead? So I would say my passion or my drive to be a leader stems from genuinely wanting to help others um, and putting others before myself. So I would, I would say that's where my passion comes from. Whenever I see someone in need of help, I'm always eager to try to help them reach their destination or, or their goal as quickly as possible and as friendly as possible because vet school is already hard in itself. So we don't need any more stressors or anything else to add tension or anxiety or worries. Um, so why not just be helpful. Like that's just where my genuine leadership comes from, from wanting to be an ally and an advocate for somebody else. Tell me about your experience at the Veterinary Leadership Conference this past January. Why did you attend? So I attended the meeting because it was one of the responsibilities that came with being in the role of the SAVMA president. So it was something that was completely out of my comfort zone, being around people I've never met, uh, a lot of people in high high in AVMA, um, high in status. And it was just my first uh, vet conference in general. So I had a lot of anxiety for lack of better words. And I ended up going and it it was beneficial for me as far as growing my leadership skills and growing my networking experience and just be learning how to become comfortable in uncomfortable environments. That's what brought me to VLE. Um, Experiences from VLE, I got to meet a lot of great leaders. I met um, Dr. Hodges from Critifixers, and I kind of just gravitated towards him because he's an alumni of my school. And I was like, I have to, I have to link up with somebody because I know absolutely nobody. And I was able to build a relationship with him and He pretty much told me, because as you know, veterinary medicine is predominantly white, and that was one of my biggest holdups as far as my um, not fitting in into something that looks like me. So I went to him day one. I was like, hi, I remember meeting you this past summer during an event that we had with Tuskegee. And though you may not remember me, 
I go to your school and we must be friends. Like we, we're family, we're of the same descent for a lack of better words. And he's, and I told him how I was feeling. And he's like, Laisha, it's okay. Like be you, you're here for a reason, regardless of the color of your skin. And if, if you don't let that be a deterrent, don't let that stop you from being great because you're here off of your own efforts and your own triumphs and tribulations. And you made it to vet school off of who you are and you made it here based off of who you are. And he made it into his level of work based off being genuine and staying true to himself. So most of the time, the things that we're thinking about are just in our own minds. So once we're able to see past that and get past our own thoughts, then we can thrive. And then after having that personal conversation with him, I started to really thrive and branch out. So it sounds like it was like a life-changing conversation. Yes, yes, I would say so. And when you're talking about, you know, you had to get out of your comfort zone, what were the biggest obstacles in your way, in your in your mind? Um, not being accepted was a big one. Not feeling like I was worthy of these opportunities. Just Just my own thoughts things that challenged me to to want to stay in my room and not go out and network and not be a representative of Tuskegee, not be a representative of my own name, Laisha Hicks. You bring up some very interesting points because wouldn't it be easier to just be a second year vet student, you know, go into class, coming home, study, do the same thing every day. But there was something in you, Laisha, that fuels you to be a go-getter because you are president of your class and you're president of the chapter for SAVMA. So what pushes you to go beyond the minimum? Yes, it would be easy to just stay home and study all the time and take breaks. Just be a normal vet student. That's that's easy, but being great isn't easy. And that's why everybody doesn't do, you know, everybody isn't there. Knowing that what's in me, knowing that my my calling is for greatness, whether it be, you know, just great for my uh, clinic where I end up working or whether it be creating another top of the line medication for animals, um, whatever it is, I just know that I have it in me to do it. Yeah, you have it in you to do it. And I love, you know, being great isn't easy. No, it's not. Definitely not. Now, you were also a panelist at the Mars Veterinary Health and Royal Canaan Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity in the Veterinary Industry panel last year. And you spoke to over 400 Mars employees on ways to improve equity, inclusion, and diversity in the profession. And I imagine some people, you know, seeing you up there, were thinking, you know, what does she know? She's just a young student. Like, what what do you know and what have you experienced so you could talk to these um, employees? Everybody has their own experiences. And my experiences um, shaped me as as being somewhat eligible to to assist in their Mars's goal to get the word out about diversity, um, equity, and inclusivity. So I would say what I shared with Mars employees was just my personal experience. So I know growing up, it was hard for me to get into vet medicine. I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a veterinarian. I didn't know 
what the doctor name was for it, but I told my parents, well, my mom and my grandparents, that I wanted to take care of animals. We grew up with animals, um, with pets, dogs, um, no cats. We didn't do we didn't do cats, but we had many dogs, and I had a pet deer. Random fun fact about me. Um, wow. <laughs> yes. What was his name? Bartholomew. I didn't give him a last. Well, his last name would be my last name, but his name was Bartholomew Hicks. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. Um, but getting into vet med was very hard. And though we had all these pets growing up, we never took them to the vet. Somebody has to take care of these animals. Like they can they can stay a little longer. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to take care of them. So that's kind of where that first little seed was planted, um, not being able to go to the veterinary and not having that experience. Growing up, now a graduate of high school, I decided to go to North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I decided to do uh, a major in animal science. And that is where I met my first veterinarian that I know of to this day. I could have met him in passing, didn't know it. But um, I met my first veterinarian and it was a woman of color, you know, and I've never seen a veterinarian who was a woman of color either. So I'm like, what is, what is happening? Like, this is, this is real. Like, I won't be the first, but we're already out here. I said, okay, cool. Did all of the classworks, did the labs. Um, Dr. Ralph Noble, he's, um, he was my mentor also during those years. He really molded me and he got me interested in large animal medicine. Uh, From my first wet lab, we were castrating calves and I was like this is amazing like I'm gonna do this and it was four years there flew by very quickly but that was my my niche I was like okay I'm doing this I belong here like even though I see these clinics and um, I've tried to apply to clinics and being told by the front desk receptionist they say leave me your resume and somebody will get back to you I'm like okay I'll do it. I don't really have a lot of experience. I don't know what to put on my resume, but I would do so. Never get a call back. It was a lot of no's before I got to to A&T. And then that's when, that was the eye opener seeing Dr. Gentry, um, the first black veterinarian for me. And after hearing no so much, I was so used to like, okay, well maybe not being the doctor isn't for me. Maybe I can just be a tech or somebody just in the clinic. So Fast forward, graduated from A&T with a bachelor's in animal science, and I ended up going to Tuskegee University where I am now. Those experiences of being constantly told no or not, you know, leave your resume on the desk and we'll get back in contact with you and never hearing back, it made me start to think, well, is it that I'm not hearing back from people because of the color of my skin, you know, where I'm from the South, it's, it's there. Like there is still some racial barriers that we do have, we do face and I have faced growing up. So it wasn't something I wasn't unfamiliar with. It was something that I had started to accept. And then actually finally getting my yes, you know, welcome to Tuskegee University. Your, your, all your pain and suffering and these obstacles that you've endured are not in vain. You know, you you can be who you want to be. So you don't have to let the color of your skin, the 
where you come from, anything really be a deterrent. Um, you just got to keep going. You have, it's, it really boils down to you as a person and knowing back to knowing what you're capable of because God didn't put me here to just not do what he told me to do, you know? So, so yes. One of the things you've said is that equity, inclusion, and diversity is a priority. And you've said it's not optional change. Why do you believe that? Everybody's talking about diversity and being inclusive and being equal. Um, So we're all talking about it. But now we have to make actions towards those steps. And it's not, oh, well, maybe I can do it later or Maybe I'll just plaster up the initiative and people see that this is a topic of conversation without making this the appropriate strides in the right direction. So now that you made it public and everybody knows, now we're going to hold you accountable to your word. So it's no longer an option. We have people falling suit in leadership positions to be the change and voicing change. So now is the time to do it because we're watching you and we're, and we're here. And, and I'm not just speaking on behalf of the African-American population. It's, it's all, you know, all races, all people, whether you're LBGTQX. So that's why I made that statement. We got to see change. You spent some time studying at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus. What did you learn that you've stuck in your hip pocket thinking, you know, this experience is going to help me someday? Yes. Um, So it's two things. The first one is the food is amazing out there. They have these cookies. They were like Oreo cookies, the bomb. But most most importantly, (laughs) what I really enjoyed about being out in Cyprus was outside of studies, we would, you know, we would go and hang out as a group. Um, and the program that I was a part of, there was many students from different, um, universities that attended and we just all went to the same university, uh, University of Nicosia, excuse me. And whenever we would just break away on the weekends to do our little excursions, um, as a group, whenever we would go out, the people of Cyprus, they would always say, oh, the Americans are here. Like the Americans, like drinks, bottles. I'm like, okay, all right, hold up. <laughs> but um, but that really resonated with me because they they didn't see like, oh, you know, this is white America, this is black America, this is, you know, they we as a group, we were Americans, like we were one unit, you know? Uh, and to me, like within the program, the students we had already pretty much divided off into our groups, you know, if you were, it just happened. It just happened. I don't know how or why, but people just already clicked up with their people. So then whenever we would go out, it would be, you know, all of the groups would go out together. um, And then outsiders looking in, they were like, oh, these people are great. They're all Americans and we love America. We love America. And then we're like, Kobe Bryant, you know, back then he was still here. Um, and the New York Giants, oh, they were, you know, just thinking about the sports and all the, the good things about being an American. And then coming back to America, it was, it, I still, you know, growing up in the South, seeing that we were 
pretty much together, but still separated. So that was my greatest takeaway was, wow, you know, going outside of what I see every day or almost every day, inevitably, and going to a different country, they don't, they don't, they didn't see me as, you know, oh, well, you're black and oh, well, she's, she's white and she's Hispanic. It was, y'all are Americans and we love your culture. But that was, that was my greatest takeaway was being seen as a, as a, as a nation, as a person um, from a different country than just being seen as a person of color, if that makes sense. It does because, and especially as you said, you'll take that learning and now it's with you forever. And, and as you become a vet and you go into practice and you live the rest of your life, that's always with you. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, that was really special. I've never experienced that, but you know, you would experience, I experienced it for the first time going out of the country. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine that was, um, that was a risk to do that, to study there. And we've been talking a lot about going, trying new things and your, you know, your destiny is to do this. And so you just got to do it. But what if, what if you're scared and what if you don't want to do it? What if, what if your uh, listener is, is listening to us and saying, but that sounds so (laughs) scary. What do you do? Right. I would say find somebody you're close with and have them help you. You know, it's not, it's not easy. I'm not going to say like, you heard me say that I was nervous going to a conference for the first time, but I, I did it. And the only way things will become easier is if you practice with practice. If you can't put yourself in those, those situations, find somebody else who kind of can like, Hey, come along with me. Let me show you this. Find somebody you can, you trust or find a friend. And honestly, you probably already have this person in your friend group. Just go ahead and just be willing, be a willing vessel, you know, to just go ahead and take the risk. Every experience will mold you into a better person. It's supposed to help you become a better person. So if it's something that you don't like, don't do it again, but you won't, you won't know unless you try it, you know, just link, I would say link up with somebody you trust and go for it. You can call me, you can email me and I'll do it. (laughs) Walk it together. That's excellent. Ah, that's so fantastic. So we're just about out of time, but I thought I would at least ask, you know, you're wrapping up your second year of vet school. Do you have any funny vet stories that you'd like to share with us? Well, I think it's pretty funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. Uh, (laughs) These girls, uh, they were pretty much babysitting or pet sitting is the correct term, excuse me. They're pet sitting two cats. And that night I got a call around like one o'clock in the morning and (laughs) they were like, hey, Laisha, do you happen to have... um, any tuna, some canned tuna, or a flashlight? I said, um, no. What you're calling me for a flashlight? Um, and they're like, oh yeah. So the two cats that we were babysitting or pet sitting broke out the window and they're gone, and we're trying to find them. I said, oh, okay, um, I'm on my way, <laughs> and I'll help you find them. So they're somewhere in this apartment complex, just running around. Um, so about. An hour later, we found the first one. The first one had jumped over the fence 
of the got outside of the gate of the apartment complex. And so my friend jumped the gate, got that one. And then we're still looking for this last one. So about 30 more minutes went by. And then one of the girls, she decided to look under the car in front of the apartment window. And there goes a second cat, the cat that actually pushed the screen out the window. Oh. So so this cat is just literally watching us like shake the bushes and use our cell phone lights to kind of hover over. And we had, uh, what do you call it? Brooms and the Swiffer sweepers like beating the the bushes because it was too many bugs out and we couldn't see anything. So, so finally she found that one and we were able to get it back in the house and we never told their owners, but they're back with their owners. All so, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, in one way, that's a great story. It's an inspirational story because out of your first two years of vet school, like nothing, nothing fell on your head. You didn't get stamped on by a horse. That's pretty good for a first two years of vet school. That's yeah. awesome. Laisha. <laughs> and you found the cat. So the story yeah. even has a great ending. It would be terrible if you're like, and we never found the cat. <laughs> So I have to say, we are now out of time. And I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed speaking with you. You make my heart melt. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It was super fun. Well, this wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. Don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this is Scrub Chat.